listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. As always, I've got a real treat for our listeners at home, but before we introduce our guests for today, I just want to let you know that we are coming up on episode number 50, and to help us celebrate episode number 50, I want to hear from you. The title of our 50th episode is 50 Guitar Teaching Tips from 50 Guitar Teachers. So if you want to get one of your teaching tips featured on the podcast, make sure you follow the link in the description wherever you're listening to this and figure out how to submit your track. So you can either write in a written tip and I'll read it out in the podcast or you can submit an audio track or a video file. We'll show you how to do that via the link we include in this and that way you can contribute to the podcast and help us celebrate our 50th episode. One last little note before we begin, if you're enjoying the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast, please leave us a review wherever you're listening. That helps us get the podcast out to a wider audience, and the bigger the audience, the better guests that we can get on so we can take the knowledge from the people who have it and share it with you who need it at home. Now, introducing our guest today, someone who's a good friend of mine who has come on board with the Guitar Ninjas program, someone who owns quite a large school in the United Kingdom and came with a solution or came with a problem that needed a solution that Guitar Ninjas kind of helped out with, but has also gone and shared on a wealth of his ideas and knowledge with me. So I've learned a lot from Sam, who is our guest today, and he's doing some really, really cool things at his school, which when he was telling me about this, the first thing I said was, whoa, dude, you got to come on the podcast and tell everyone about this. So I know you guys are in for a real treat. Let's welcome Sam Blake from BMT Music to the podcast. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I am absolutely ecstatic and honored to be here. Well, I'm so glad that we met each other first online and hopefully it's going to be a, a budding friendship for years to come and I've got a great feeling about everything. So I know a fair bit about you, but why don't you give our listeners a brief background about yourself? Okay. So like many people, I sort of started playing the guitar at 13. I actually wanted to play when I was eight and I heard the intro uh, de-augmented chord at the start of Chuck Berry's No Particular Place to Go and then decided that guitar was the only thing that I really identified with. So I didn't start te- playing till over, over five years after that, um, teaching myself on a battered up acoustic guitar string that I had to tune with a spanner because it only had four strings and, you know, sort of uh, not all the tuning pegs. So I absolutely fell in love with it, decided that was what I wanted to do with my life sort of went through a couple of different kind of career choices um, and then actually became a father at 19, um, which was fairly young with the uh, woman that I'm, I'm married to now, Perry, and she was 18 at the time. And so for me, sort of further education and university wasn't really an option. So we, I sort of very soon realized that I needed to just kind of start making money fast to, to support a family. And so I started working in a guitar shop. And uh, from there, I actually started to build up some private teaching through people that, you know, were kind of coming into the shop buying a guitar and then asking, do you know anywhere I can get lessons? And I say, hey, me. So I kind of had the first kind of opportunity to offer those lessons to those people. And I actually started doing that by doing home visits, riding my bike back in 2005 with a pocket paper book map in my back pocket. And I would plan out these funny little routes where, you know, I kind of do half a mile to one house, half a mile to another house, half a mile to another one. And then I kind of have like, you know, a two mile trek back to the train station to kind of get home kind of thing. And so now uh, I'm, I'm very proud to say I'm uh, married um, and I've got uh, four kids, uh, three of which are homeschooled. We now run a music school where we've got over 200 students. We've got our in-person studios, which have got three different rooms. At the moment, we've got six different uh, teachers. And we also so- serve some surrounding schools as well. That's really, really amazing to hear. And the first thing that got me was tuning the guitar with a spanner. So <laughs> that's uh, one of them things where almost this will to succeed or to to, to make it work no matter what has been there from the very beginning. Yeah, apparently Chris Rear does the same. So when you're here driving home for Christmas. Chris Rear, who, who's he? I'm, I've, I feel like I've heard the name, but I'm not sure. 
I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, Very nice. famous Christmas song. Gonna put That's the only, the only song I know. It would be much better if it was Jimi Hendrix, wouldn't it? If I'd have, if I'd have tuned my guitar the same way Jimi Hendrix does, uh, did even. Um, but yeah, no, it's funny because it was actually, um, it was an open tuning actually. And, and I didn't really realize that at the time. I was kind of just tuning four strings until they sounded right. And I think it was kind of a first, fifth, first, fifth, something like that. It was, and it was quite funny because, you know, um, I started playing things by ear. I remember learning Smells Like Teen Spirit and then Polly by Nirvana as well. And basically understanding the fact that how chords worked, how chord progressions worked, and actually thinking that I could play any song in the whole entire world with power chords until a friend kind of soon sort of pointed out to me, hey, listen to like a G chord and a C chord. Here's open chords, you know, they've got, you know, much more kind of, uh, you know, harmonic structure to them kind of thing. And I really, you know, realized I couldn't get that far, but I still use that principle in some ways to this day, because obviously you can play, in theory, you can play anything with, with uh, you know, sort of drop D power chords, can't you? Yeah. And uh, that's something where a big part of what we do in Guitar Ninjas is just simplifying it down for everyone. And if you like Nirvana and a lot of those 90s grunge bands, you're in luck because that's pretty much what 90% of their stuff is, is the power chords moved around. So uh, while your friend is correct that you've got to build on top of that for specific songs to sound like the record, uh, you can really get away with quite a lot using just power chords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And at what point did you start going, oh, you know what, the, this riding around just isn't a good use of my time. How did you transition to actually making a music school, maybe going from private, you know, private guitar teacher, solo teacher to music school and building it into BMT School of Music, which you have now? So the guitar shop I was working at, initially, they, they basically did teaching in the shop as well. And so that would be kind of running. They had a couple of rooms that you could use sort of during the daytime. Obviously, mo- you know, most clients are only really sort of available from sort of, you know, kind of half past three onwards. And so the, the biggest problem was initially was that there was no space that was already full up with teachers. But however, the, they, they did manage to accommodate some, some kind of like limited hours. And uh, so then, you know, I think I very soon sort of realized, you know, talking with some other music teachers that were working there that, you know, I was losing half an hour of kind of time that I could otherwise be making money. So as soon as I managed to get some studio space there, I was able to start putting students back to back. Um, I then went on to, they then were sort of full up after that. So I then started hiring a, a different studio down the road, taking students there. Um, I moved to a different town. And I remember getting my first two students when we moved there. That was Bradford on Avon, which is in Wiltshire in the UK. And um, this, I can't quite remember how. It was just somehow word of mouth. Somebody passed on my number and they happened to live in the same town. We moved into a new house where we were about to have our second child in 2008. And they had this little green shed in the back garden, huge garden, little green shed, about nine foot by six foot. The second I looked at that, I was like, I'm starting teaching in there. So these first two students come and take their lessons up there. We called it the Shed of Rock. I taught in there for six years and literally through teaching from that shed, I then went on to actually teaching at two local schools eventually. And the, the town of Bradford Avon, uh, where I used to live and still run my music school now, it's a really tight community. So the two schools I was working in, one was a primary school, one was a senior school. If for, for sort of you know, people in Australia, US, where else? That's kind of, you know, primary school is sort of ages four to 11, and then senior school is sort of ages 11 up to 18. And what would happen is those kids would go from that primary school to that senior school. So I would teach them from one, transition them into the other. If they wanted private lessons, they come to private lessons. Eventually, I had a two-year and four-month-long waiting list with over 80 people waiting for private lessons. And um, I actually had just started kind of at that point to build a really great resource, which I'll kind of go into a little bit later. And uh, I think eventually it just got to the point where I wouldn't say I was jaded as such, but you know, when you're your own boss and you've kind of, you've maxed out all of your um, teaching hours, you're kind of thinking, well, what is the next step? And so I I had to think of a way of, of, you know, not only just thinking about, okay, I could make more revenue if I managed to expand this a little bit, but also it was genuinely slightly heartbreaking um, when you would have somebody ring you up and say, my little boy, Timmy has, um, you know, his friend has guitar lessons with you and we we hear you know nothing but great things about it we've gone down to somebody down the road who's teaching them x y and z it really doesn't seem a good fit it was just a little bit heartbreaking to sort of think of all these people in the local community who basically i felt were being underserved really and having um 
you know, you know, the method of teaching that I've always done, because I actually come from a self-taught background, which, um, you know, I didn't realize was a little bit, a little bit more odd um, than I used to think. I used to think that everybody learned by ear, which is not necessarily the case. So because I learned by listening to Green Day records, going back to how I sort of started playing the guitar, you know, a lot, just power chords, Green Day, Offspring, Nirvana, that kind of thing. Um, because I learned that way, just naturally, I went into teaching that way, which was, you know, what kind of music do you want to learn? Obviously, went through those motions of realizing that just asking somebody there and then what do you want to do today was not the most organized way of teaching a lesson. So, um, you know, to, to, to bring this sort of forward a little bit, you know, I, I knew that I had something that I needed to scale to, to expand to that wider community. So, uh, so we, so eventually off the back of that, you know, I hired two teachers. We started kind of a guitar school. Um, we, we went all the way through COVID people started asking, you know, they would have a sibling that learned piano and they would say, do you know anybody that teaches piano the way you do guitar? At that time we had a multi-instrumental teacher and I said, do you want to have a little go at seeing how you can get on teaching someone pianos? So they started showing someone how to play seven nation army on the piano, left, left chord, uh, bass in the left hand chords in right hand kind of thing. And just kind of went from there, really, and just uh, kept going. It's a little bit like the old lady who swallowed a fly, really, because every time I've built something, I've had to build something else to kind of keep that going. Or it's a little bit, you know, like that space rocket thing where a lot of the fuel is actually to carry the fuel of the space rocket. Yeah. Well, what an amazing transition and, and an amazing journey there, which sounds absolutely fantastic. I can't believe you had a waiting list of over 80 people. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a bit silly. Looking back... I actually did attempt to kind of, you know, outsource some teaching on two or three occasions. And uh, I think I did this in around 2011, no, probably around 2009, 2011, then again in kind of around 2016, I think. And I did basically fail miserably. Um, You know, I just didn't know anything about running a business. You know, I just thought, you know, you'd be able to hand an, hand another teacher some phone numbers and email addresses, let them sort of arrange the scheduling and hope that those people would pay the checks and, you know, that that would work fine. And it falls short extremely quickly because, of course, there's a whole other side of things, which is how, um, you know, how organized you are, really. And you, you, can't, you can't delegate that to necessarily delegate that to music teachers. There's a lot of music schools that have that kind of model, but, you know, that didn't work for me. Sort of three, three sort of failed attempts. Um, and then it was actually around... 2017, when we had, we had, we had our fourth, fourth child and we were beginning to outgrow the house basically. And, you know, things, things were becoming, you know, a little bit more of a pressure there as, as well as, like I say, wanting to basically expand to a wider community. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, like had a similar experience with probably you know, my first teacher that I put on. I just assumed that he would understand everything that I did and know exactly what to do uh, in terms of maybe a bit more of the business side of things. And it was like, actually, no, musicians are generally not that organized. And when I first started doing the, the, the teaching, my business skills were zero as well. And over a couple of years, you build it up and sometimes you forget how hard you had to work for it or, or that some of this stuff isn't common knowledge. So, yeah, I just basically said, yep, here's the keys. Here's a little to-do list, off you go. And then not realize that I didn't coach him through how to make the calls or when he should make the calls or how to follow up or what to uh, send him in a report at the end of every week. And, you know, you come back a couple of weeks later and out of the 20 students he had, only 12 are left and there's a whole bunch who are really, really unhappy. And whose fault is that? Not his. It's mine because I didn't give him what he needed to succeed. I just assumed. So it is a whole other set of skills that you need to help train any other staff on, assuming that they fit that position. And, yeah, as you said, so many other music schools or businesses try that model and they put someone with a different skill set in the wrong position and they lose out. And often they'll think it's the other person who's, you know, the dropkick or the person that wasn't good enough or whatever when they didn't set them up for success in the, in the beginning. I was going to say exactly the same thing as I think, I think when I sort of failed at that, um, the thing I kept saying was, you know, I, I couldn't find the perfect person to fill the role that I needed. They needed to be this X, Y, and Z. They needed to have had as much experience as teaching as me. Um, you know, they had to, you know, be organized, be punctual, you know, be skilled at playing the guitar, Wh- whatever, all those things be available at the times I wanted them available. It kind of reminded me, I don't know if you have anything similar in Australia, um, the program called, um, location, 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 
where people basically go on it to try and find their dream home. And of course, what they'd always say is, we want a house in the middle of London that costs less than a house in the middle of nowhere. And the two things are completely inverse, aren't they? And they'd always either end up not buying a house or they'd end up um, compromising somewhere. You know, and I was basically looking for something that was that was all of those things. And actually, you know, there's only there's only one of you, isn't there? And anybody else that's similar to you is already doing their own thing, really. Um, and you know, to add what I was saying to earlier, you know, another another kind of thing that I did see a lot of um, was if I ever spoke to other music teachers, uh, they would quite often, you, you know, just sort of in passing, kind of tell you about some struggles they had. Like, let's say somebody would say. Oh, you, you know, I'm, a, I'm quite a big gigging musician and I've done a bit of teaching before. I was teaching a seven-year-old and then they dropped out. And um, this is what they were like. I was teaching them this, this and this. And I was moving the lessons around my touring and then they dropped out. And you had to really bite your tongue from telling them you were teaching the wrong thing and you weren't consistent enough for them. And so, you know, part of me building this up really was also wanting to help that community of, of um, working musicians be able to have something where we we would uh you know facilitate everything that is difficult um in teaching guitar which is quite often everything except for the actual teaching itself give them you know the teaching space organize everything take care of the billing marketing everything else like that and actually just have them drop in teach do an amazing job of that support them in being able to do that and then they can go and then they can go and do all their gigging and get back on with their life kind of thing and have quite, you know, comparatively quite an easy life really and have the ability to to have that career opportunity that maybe would either be a lot harder for them or, or wouldn't wouldn't um you know wouldn't come their way, basically. Yeah, that's it. And to go back to what you said before, like when you're looking for someone who is basically another you, that kind of person, especially if you get to the point where you're very highly efficient with things, you've been teaching for 15 years the people who are like yourself are probably your biggest competitor or if it's not your biggest competitor, it's someone who you're going to have to pay a lot of money because they are highly skilled and they're probably going to be successful in whatever industry they go into, not just a, a music teaching niche. But to come down to what you finished with is this concept of, yeah, if I'm hiring someone to come in and teach and teaching is their strength, am I doing the wrong thing by trying to get them to do some admin work or to do some sales calls or even potentially creating the curriculum. So when you have a team, uh, I think the best analogy, and I think sports teams have done this, like um, maybe not so much with soccer, uh, what you guys call football, with our Australian football, you know, people and, and American football, people have experimented with, well, what if I just get a whole team of really tall, muscly dudes? So we'll demolish the competition, but then the little guys end up running around them and, and beating them. What happens if you get a whole bunch of really smart, uh, really fast, short guys? Then the, the big strong guys just you know wrap them up and tackle them and, and get them. You need the right people in the right positions for the team to work efficiently. And the same thing is true of your music school. You need your rock star teachers. You need your ultra reliable admin. You need your you know finance person who can have the hard conversations and and do the forecasting. You need a, a smart marketing guy. Yes, you on your own can do everything and become really really highly skilled. But as you found, you hit the wall and you can't do any more. There's not, no more hours in a day. And then you sort of get locked into uh, under a ceiling of not reaching your full potential because you don't ha have enough time to leverage it. Whereas if you get a great teacher, that's going to free up some hours for you to do some marketing or then go and find a, a person to do your marketing and, and all those kind of things. So my opinion is as the owner, you need to be responsible for the marketing and responsible for the big decisions. Anything that someone can do 80% as effectively as what you can, then you hire them and you delegate to them. Or you hire against your weaknesses. I'm really good at teaching a lot of people, but I tend to get frustrated with the people who aren't necessarily people who are highly committed, the people who are a bit more social. What I do is I find a teacher who's really great at socializing and I pair them up together. And all of a sudden, rather than me come down too hard on this student and they quit prematurely, or this person's like, man, this teacher's way too intense for me, I just get the right teacher to fit them. And I deal with the people who are super serious and, and want to get really fast results really quickly. And it, it just works out. We just like a chessboard. You have different pieces with different moves and different roles and you just play the game. Couldn't agree more, but could, couldn't, couldn't a hundred percent say that I'm uh, following that because obviously I, you know, I'm, 
um, probably a little bit earlier on in my sort of business than you are. And, you know, sort of, I, I you know, I do all the marketing, everything like that. And pro- probably there are more things that I could delegate. Um, just sort of touch on something you said about, um, you, you know, whether music teachers make um, good admins. It's quite funny because one of the criteria I have, you know, when we are actually recruiting for someone to do our admin is that then they're basically not a musician, uh, which is quite funny because obviously a lot of people will, and I don't know if you've had the same, a lot of people will apply for that position and they will say, uh, we had it particularly in COVID where, you know, people are sadly looking for work. You'd have someone who say, I'm a touring musician of X number of years. I've played with this band, this band, this band. I think I'd be a great fit for doing the admin for your school. And, uh, you know, you, I don't think quite often, no offense, I don't think there could be anything worse in some ways. Um, and I'm sure there are probably, I feel bad saying that now. Uh, I'm sure there probably are some people who are actually fantastic because obviously if you manage a band for a start, that involves a lot of admin, doesn't it? But actually, you know, we're looking for, uh, you know, musicians that are great with with kids and adults that are great at teaching and playing, and then you know for the other things, yeah, like you say, you're looking for people who who, who that is their skill set, their superpower kind of thing. Yeah, well, I'm going to say, don't feel bad. I'm going to go straight out and speak to my listeners directly and say, you guys are the worst. <laughs> Musicians are particularly bad hires in all fields, and for any of you who are teaching and and managing your own schools and hiring other guitar teachers, you know that they're just Musicians are traditionally bad at money and bad at being organized and that might be the trade-off that, you know, not all musicians are not every single person, but the vast majority of them, the creativity, the love of the music is what drives them, not necessarily being organized or having a want of money. It's more, you know, a necessary evil in my experience. I hate that word and I hate that mentality. Everyone knows I'm the six-figure guy. I'm all about money and using money as a resource to create your ideal life. But I'm always amazed at how many musicians are just scared of money. They hate it without making it a political argument or, or anything like that or dividing people that way. There tends to be you know, a lot more left-leaning principles of um, share it around and I, I don't really want this or, or all those kind of things. We won't get into that. But you know, money is a good thing. Money is a tool and it's a resource. And a big part of you going from being a struggling musician to an organized business person uh, who runs a teaching business is learning about money and having a positive mindset towards money and going, you know what? Money is neither good nor evil. It's just a tool. It's a resource. The more money I have, the better I can provide for my family, the better I can provide for myself, the more opportunities I can create for my school and all of my students. And then if I'm in a comfortable position in my life, living my best life, then I can provide the best for everyone around me and my students win for that. So that's the whole reason why we do top music, the whole reason why we do this podcast, the whole reason why I do Guitar Ninjas and Six Figure is because I want more for myself so I can give more back to everyone else. And guitar teachers, as I said, every single day people go, oh, yeah, I want to do your Six Figure program or Guitar Ninjas. And they'll say, how much is it? And I'll tell them and they'll get a fright and go, wow, that's crazy. Well, first of all, there's no way you can make that much money teaching guitar. And I'm like, well, yeah, you can because I do and I've helped other people do it. And then they go, no, it costs way too much. And you're like, well, if you're going to invest $1,000, let's just say $1,000, is it worth paying $1,000 now to in 12 months time go from earning $20,000 a year as a musician working crazy hours and doing odd jobs to earning $100,000 teaching 10 to 15 hours a week. And they'll go, yeah. And you go, cool, well, let's do this. But they just can't get the mindset over that amount of money. So that's just a, a little side rant. But if anyone's listening to this is in doubt about how I can make more money or be a better teacher or provide for my family, it really, really is quite simple. And all you need to do is change your attitude about money. You can't become rich or wealthy hating money. You have to learn how it works, learn how to, I keep using this analogy, play the game because life is a big game. If you learn the rules, you learn how it works, it's much easier to win. Bingo. There's there's one of your little quotes there that I was sort of telling you about as you say, well, life life is one big game. You know, you've got to play it, play it to win kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. Great stuff. Great advice. Have you you by any chance read, um, have you read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? Think and Grow Rich is probably one of my number one recommended books for anyone listening to this podcast. You can almost tell, and I think Napoleon Hill. He was he was sort of you know he was kind of like look this because it's not um you know it's it's very philosophical in some ways, but it's also you've got to balance that philosophy with practicality. So so again, you know you do actually have to work really hard to be able to reach the goals that you that you have. But one thing that he said is that he felt that that 
his philosophy really should be taught in schools. So I think it's quite sad in a way that like part of part of your mission in life, like you like you've just sort of outlined there, is like trying to help musicians, you know, better themselves. But but before you can do that, they have to change their mentality. And in some ways, we could argue, well, why do why where do we get that mentality from in the first place? And it's quite it's just quite inherent in our society, isn't it? So uh, without without getting too deep and philosophical, um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I think, and this is stuff. a topic that more musicians need to be aware of. Like Think and Grow Rich, it talks about this secret, and I think there's like sixteen or seventeen chapters and and fifteen or so wealth secrets and a lot of great analogies. It's a, a really really terrific read. Believe it or not, I think they're starting to uncover that the whole story was a fabrication, actually, or at least. Um, yeah, there's, there's growing evidence saying Napoleon Hill never actually met Dale Carnegie and he was never commissioned to go and interview all these kind of people, like apparently. And more and more is coming out about all these scams he ran and all these frauds and bad businesses and things. And um, there's another kind of like, he's not a motivational guru. He's a guy called Dan Pena and he's probably like the most hardcore kind of coach out there he kind of has this castle in scotland somewhere and you pay 20 grand and you go spend a weekend with him and he just like tries to make your like really he's just a really hard kind of military kind of ish guy um and he's talking about this never happened but he created the whole the the best scam ever the best industry ever he (laughs) he goes they created an industry where you're trying to reach your full potential but it's something you can't measure. So it's an endless journey where you're constantly buying books or courses or whatever to try and improve and meet and reach your capacity, but you can't measure it and you can't ever arrive at it. Right. So this is like, but are you saying he was making money from that idea? Is that right? Have well, I lost he something? He obviously there? made money from the book and he made money from his coaching and all these kind of things. Now, the dicey thing here is some people are going to say oh, he's scamming people. But if you read the book and you adopt the principles and the mindset and you put them into action, then it's going to change your life and it's changed the lives of millions of people and and become an enormous force for good in the world. So it's like maybe he did fabricate the story or again, it's it's a work of for all intents and purposes. I think it gives even more validity to the the philosophy. I think I think the the philosophy is solid surrounding how it started or whether i think the fabrication is just the fact that he may never have uh, been given a mission by dale carnegie personally who was at the time one of the richest men in the world to go and interview a whole bunch of other successful people and that's how the book's presented if you haven't read it that he interviews a whole bunch of rich people and learns these core lessons and then presents them to you and he talks about one particular secret that if you understand this secret uh then you'll be able to unlock the ability to be as rich as you want. And that's why it's called Think and Grow Rich. Do you, what, what was your take on the secret there, Sam? I actually, um, it really was a, it's quite funny because psychologically it was a real big kind of, um, I had this psychological switch go off in my head, I think, where actually prior to that, I was quite, um, uh, I, su- I suppose, sort of, you know, more, more sort of pessimistic in some ways. And it actually brought me a lot of optimism, um, almost spiritually, you might say, um, in, in, you know, looking at my sort of, you know, financial life, but also at my personal life and things like that as well. So yeah, it definitely had a really big ship made a really big change for me. But I think that I, at that point I did realize that, um, you know, there's motivation, isn't there? And there's inspiration and everything else like that, but it's never going to go anywhere unless you actually just put in the hard graft. And I think that, that, you know, not enough people really talk about what to do, but, you know, actually sort of talk about how difficult it is and that life doesn't really come without a struggle really in many ways. Like life, you know, it's like the, there's a book, um, the road less traveled, like the first, the first sentence in that book is, um, life is suffering, you know? And, uh, that, I think that comes from, from the, the Buddha, I think. And, um, you, you know, and when you embrace the idea is, you know, you embrace that struggle and, you know, things come your way a bit, a bit better. And uh, you can look at that with anything in life, can't you? It's like if, you, if you're scrolling Facebook and you see, here's this diet trick, how I lost, you know, six stone in however long, quite often at the end of that is actually, uh, you know, an exercise or a diet plan that you do actually have to adhere to. And unfortunately, you're not going to be able to pay someone any, any amount of money to, to get the results that you want. It has to be a combination of that 
philosophy or that resource or whatever that is there and your own hard graft. If anything, it's more your hard graft because even if you don't follow somebody's method or, or whatever, you're, and you work really hard and you're determined, you're probably going to figure something out um, in the end in some way, shape or form, aren't you? 100%. Uh, and you touched on so many important things there. Like no one can do the exercise for you. You can't do the practice for your students. And going back to the, the thinking grow rich thing, for me, it's the mindset. That book gave me the mindset to go, you know what? I can do this. And when I believe in myself, that gives me a whole new perspective and opens up the whole world. And when I believe in myself, I can take action. And the big thing that I would advocate for is if this is taught in schools, it would just create such a big difference in the world. And the older I get and the more I reflect upon the education system, now that I've got kids going through it, it really is like, okay, we're setting you up to have a job so you can go to uni to get debt to fill these roles that we need. And it's there's nothing entrepreneurial about it. It's literally just farming people to get them into a, a, a corporate job, make a lot of money for the universities. And I think in many Western co countries, especially here in Australia, it's almost like the expectation is now that you go to uni. I speak to my parents and they're like, yeah, only certain people wanting to go in certain careers had to go to uni. Whereas now it's almost like expected. You're not really given any other option. You're almost considered you know, a dunce if you're doing one of the alternative educational pathways when it's all just a big lie that sets people up for uh, with a huge amount of debt that they're never going to be able to pay off or they're not necessarily going to get a job in the industry where they get their, their education. And that's not to say everyone should get a job. No, I'm a fair, firm believer of the best candidate should get the job and you need it competitive. But I think it's also unrealistic that here in Australia where we have a relatively small population, there aren't many vet practices and things like that. However, there's another 200 people getting becoming vets every year and maybe, I don't know, 10, 10 retiring in each city kind of thing. So, people are being sold this idea that you'll pay this $100,000 course, become a vet at the end of it, and there simply aren't the positions there. So, I think depending on the course, and, and this is way worse in places like America where the student debt isn't set up the same as Australia. In Australia, the debt system I think is quite fair where you don't have to pay it back until you start making enough money to justify paying it back, which yeah, it stops people going yeah. bankrupt over their loan. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't it stop people. After, sorry. Um, we, we've got a similar thing in the UK, um, but I believe after, if, if, once you reach, reach a certain age, if you haven't paid it off, it gets written off as well. But the um, sort of counter to that is obviously if you go to uni, you study, you get a degree in something, and then you, you know, get a job in that industry and you earn enough money to pay it off, then you'll pay it off. If you sort of try and intentionally kind of avoid, avoid paying it, I think you do have to be, you do have to be under a certain income to be able to have that written off. But that income's not, not, not going to be very nice to live through that. You know, anybody that, and, and again, I think that goes to your point. If you have, if you have a more kind of pessimistic mindset, you might well kind of go, well, I'm not going to push myself to do this because I can, you know, in 18 months time or two years, my, my, uh, my student debt's going to get written off, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to push myself kind of thing. Um, I'll tell you a funny little thing, um, just go sort of on a, on a tangent. There's a, there's a certain conversation I have with the parents of students who are, you know, really, really doing really well with guitar and they're doing well enough with it that I will say to them, you could probably pick any job in the music industry and it's yours, you know, whatever you want to do. And I sort of, um, before I go too far into that, I actually asked the parents sort of to give me a call and sort of say, you know, I just want to sort of talk to you about something I want to talk to your child about with their, their career choices. They're doing so well with the guitar. But I think this could be something um, that could be an option for them in their career. And I'll say, however, just um, full disclaimer, I was 19 when I had my first child. I've never been to university. I've built my music school um, off, you know, off the back of my own teaching and hard graft and everything else like that. But I have never been to university. And I am going to have a conversation with your child about the fact that they could do the same. Um, however, I'm not going to discourage them from going into further education. And it would really pain me if I did have a student who, who sort of said, oh, you know, my, my teacher, Sammy, you know, he never went to uni. I'm not going to uni, mom. And then they, they actually ended up, you know, going down a path that wasn't so great. Because on the flip side of that, here's the other thing that I'll also um, tell that conversation with is I'll say, 
you know, um, I, I didn't go to university. I've, um, I'm a music teacher. I do that full time. I'm a professional musician. I'm self-taught, all that kind of stuff. Um, however, whenever, whenever we're recruiting for a job here, the first thing that I ever look at on that CV or that I ask that candidate is, where did you study? What grade have you got to on your first instrument? And what qualifications have you got? Because, you know, we're in that society. Because obviously, if I'm selling, you know, music lessons to uh, a parent for their child and they want to ask, and so where do your teachers study? We have it on our website. All of our teachers are DBS cleared, which, which you have an equivalent in Australia, which is like a police background check. And they are at least grade eight in their first instrument, or they have been to college or university. We have that on our, you know, on our website. So, so in a way, um, you, you know, I, I am, um, what do you call it? I, can't, I contradict my own philosophy to an extent, but we all, we all go down different paths in life. And, you know, I also believe in the butterfly effect, you know, and I believe in certain things that have happened in my life where if I wasn't in this place at this time, this might not have happened. And that could easily be the same for anybody who's going, you know, choosing their career path. If they don't do certain things, certain things might not go their way. They're all, they're always going to be better off with that qualification than without it, I suppose. Um, and sadly that is the, you know, that is the society we live in. If we didn't have that, then what other way do we have to measure things? Because when we have teachers applying for jobs, if they say they're grade eight at guitar, if, you know, or if they say they've been to, you know, the, um, um, you know, the, the, um, you know, BIM or somewhere like that, then I instantly know in my head quite a big list of things that I know I now don't need to ask them about in an interview. Yeah, no, that's all really, really valid stuff. And as you said, the world we live in, we're always being measured by our credentials and academic capability. If you have, if you want a teaching job, then you need to go to university and get that qualification. That's just how it is. But if you are a musician and you primarily want to play and you're feeling a little bit displaced, like you've got to go to uni because your parents expect it or because that's what the last six years of school have told you you need to do, then don't do it because all you're going to do is rack up an unnecessary debt, which in your circumstance, it sounds like you can get out of at a certain point, but you don't want to try and scrape by on the bare minimum of income just for the sake of wiping out this debt because it's such a poor quality of life. And again, that's what this kind of fee help structure or this, uh, all this is doing this system we currently have is incentivizing people to go into debt, which some can pay off, some can't pay off depending on where you are in the world or it, it literally butterfly effect. It, it alters the, the shape and trajectory of your life. Whereas I think if success principles were taught in schools, a lot of people would have an alternative to having to go to university or go, you know what, I can go straight into making a business or, you know what, instead of learning about music at university or learning about business at university, couldn't I just start a business and learn in the real world? Or couldn't I just go out and be a musician and learn through being a musician? So yeah, you can definitely get great things from uni. I've got uh, great experiences of my experience studying music at university, but then it got to the point where to become a classroom teacher, I'd have to go and do another two years of study, another $60,000 of debt, uh, and also stop my business, which I had been building up on the side. And it, why would I give up a business where I'm making $60,000 teaching roughly 10 hours a week at that point for uh, a teaching career where I'm going to make $70,000 teaching 40 hours a week and doing another 10 hours of corrections? It just didn't make sense. And that's what led me to come up with my own business model here. But the whole, to bring this plane in for landing, this was all sparked by you saying identity. These success principles I've identified with have adapted into my mindset and mentality. And that's allowed me to make lots of money being a guitar teacher and through having lots of money. And I would still be able to help a lot of students and be a really great teacher without the money, but I wouldn't be able to reach as many people. I wouldn't be helping Sam out in the UK and 20 other guitar teachers around the world with my guitar ninjas curriculum. And all you listeners at home with top music, if I didn't get my mindset primed for success. If you want your students to not be flaky, if you want your students to succeed long term, you need to get them to adapt the mindset of a guitar player. And when they adapt the mindset of a guitar player, they have the behaviors of a guitar player. What do guitar players do? They listen to guitar music. They read guitar articles in newsletters or magazines or online on websites. They browse gear all the time and fantasize about the next thing that they're going to get. They practice a lot. They play guitar for fun. They go out and gig. If you're trying to get someone to become a guitar player and all they do is their half an hour lesson once a week, 
It's just a certain amount of time until that wears off. You need your students to adapt this mindset of, yes, I'm a guitar player. These are the things that guitar players do. I'm going to go do them. And as they become a guitar player, that's when they get good at guitar. Yeah, there's great, great philosophies. Um, I actually found um, over the years that I, I do it even with my family is like everything becomes into a guitar analogy. Like we were having a conversation earlier about, um, you know, some, some, um, uh, you, you know, a loft conversion we want to get done in the house. And my wife has been absolutely amazing and like doing all the research for how to do it. We're basically, we're basically going to do a DIY self-build loft conversion. She's trying to explain all this stuff to me with these plans and things like that. And I'm hands down, it's going over my head a little bit. And so I actually have to sort of stop her and, and I kind of say, look, look, if I was a beginner sort of guitar student, this is like you're trying to teach me, you know, the mixolydian mode and theory and kind of stuff like that. So I always find myself um, relating things to guitar. And I think it works the other way around as well, where if you are teaching um, guitar, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of our students are there just to sort of have a, you know, a bit of fun and things like that. But there's still an opportunity to have them experience, you know, sort of personal growth and actually to be able to flip it around the other way. So the things that they learn through playing the guitar, they apply to real life. Like one of the best things I ever heard from a student was um, this guy, Tom. And he, uh, we, we got him through his grade eight. He had, he had um, guitar lessons with me for about nine years and he got a higher percentage on his grade eight certificate than I did. So he had a 92% distinction, which was amazing. And a couple of years later during COVID, we actually had him come on one of our group class kind of live stream Zoom calls we did. Came and performed on the show, did a little interview. One of the questions I asked him was, what's one thing that you learned from guitar lessons that you apply to everyday life? And he said, well, every single time that I had to practice something over and over and over again, and it was so repetitive and it starts off sounding rubbish and it eventually starts shaping itself and getting better and better and better. I actually find myself applying that. And this, this guy was highly academic and he's studying physics at uh, university. He said, when I'm struggling on my university course now, I still hear like the words that you've said to me and I still, those disciplines kick in where I know I just have to do the same boring thing again and again and again until I get better at it. I was like, that's amazing that you can actually teach someone that skill within themselves, hopefully, that they'll have for life. And I've had sort of similar things from other students as well. So it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, I ha I've had to be really sort of careful over the last few years, as we, you know, we've expanded the music school. Um, if I actually say to somebody, you know, a parent on the phone, like, you know, some people do music does having music lessons, just a 30 minute lesson once a week, or, you know, 45 minute classes, if you're doing it, you know, with guitar ninjas, it really does actually change their life. Maybe in a, maybe in a small way or, and sometimes in a huge way. And I, I, I do, I'm quite clear on saying, I can't absolutely make that promise. The main thing that you're going to have is you're going to have you know, you're going to have guitar lessons. They're going to be fun. They're going to learn riffs. They're going to learn this and that. And this, this I'm hoping is also going to be the case for you as well. Yeah, 100%. And it's about giving them those opportunities they wouldn't otherwise get. And sometimes we're very short-sighted in terms of, oh, yeah, I haven't got good at guitar. And it's like, well, you've been taking lessons for three months. Like, how good were you at football after three months? How good were you at spelling after three months? How good at walking were you after three months? Like, not good. All these things you take for granted, driving a car, walking, <laughs> like uh, passing a, a maths test, your education at school, you, you're at school from six to 12 and the national average is pretty, pretty low in terms of academic performance and you're at school for six hours a day for 12 years straight. Why are you expecting that after three months of guitar lessons, you're going to be amazing at it? So I think by helping people see that it's going to be a long-term thing that takes getting used to and you reset those expectations, it can be really helpful. But you also want to provide those opportunities to say, you know what, as a kid, if you have these skills and you work on them for the next couple of years, you're going to get to high school and you're going to be that legendary guitar player that everyone thinks is the cool kid. You're going to go straight into playing, getting up at assembly and performing, it's going to open up so many pathways for you in school, outside of school and for the rest of your life. And that's the, the kind of image you want to paint for these people to say, these are all the ways in which this can change your life. And it doesn't always have to be grand. It might be the simple fact that, you know, you can come home from school and just chill out and have some fun without being on a screen or relieving your stress. It might be the fact that you can propose to your wife 
playing her favorite song on the guitar or the song that, you know, was playing it on your first date or something, whatever it happened to be. It could be that, you know, you go on a world tour because you're just this crash hot guitar player playing in a band. So I think it's important to help your students see the future and their parents as well, see the opportunities that can come. But it all starts with one more repetition to go back to your point. Uh, if you want the life that no one has, you have to do things that no one does. If you want a body like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you've got to do as many reps as what Arnold Schwarzenegger did and all those kind of things. If you want to be a good guitar player, you just have to do it enough times to get good at it. If you are walking from you know, the bottom point of Australia, Melbourne, where I am to the top point, you can get there one day at a time. If you take one step every day, it'll take you forever. If you take 10 steps a day, you'll get there significantly faster. If you're walking for an hour every day, it'll take you a couple of months. If you jump on a bike and ride there, it's not going to be as fast as a car or a plane, but you'll still get there. As long as you take one step, one action after the other, you will eventually arrive at your destination, whether that's dieting, whether that's guitar, whether that's building a business. You just need to get in the habit of doing one more. And I think that's one of the best lessons you could have shared is as long as you keep doing the reps, as long as you put in the time, you eventually get to the destination. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sam, we've both uh, had a really good chat here. Uh, but the reason I invited you on this podcast was to talk a little bit more about this amazing thing you're doing with your, I think it's called your five chord method. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Okay. So, so I have um, my own resource that I call the BMT Guitar Program. And that's basically a song-based resource. It's not a method as such. I believe in something that I read in the e-myth, which is called System and Substance, which is all about, you know, systematizing the things that you, you know, you kind of generally repeat quite a lot, but then also having substance for the things that uh, need to be a little bit more nuanced. So, for example, if you have a resource that's got 20 beginner songs in it, well, that's, that's a, you know, system. And then a substance would be, you know, asking a student what kind of music they're into and trying to help them pick songs from that kind of thing. So my guitar program, um, we actually, it's just, it's basically, it's quite simple. It's, it's basically a huge multi-page spreadsheet with a load of Google Drive files. And on each page of that spreadsheet, if you could try and imagine, we have a category which is single string riffs. Then it goes to two string riffs. Then it goes to kind of power chord riffs. Then it goes to really, really simple chord songs. And in each one of those songs that are down there, so they're all sort of classic pop and rock and things like that, there's a look and a listen function. You click on it and it'll, it'll open up a YouTube link, which will be a backing track. And what we tend to do is we retune those backing tracks. If the, uh, you know, like a lot of people teach smoke on the water on the E string. So we have a retuned version of smoke on the water so they can play along in the key of E. Uh, and then it's also got a look function where they click on that and they see the sheet music. So the way that we're kind of teaching guitar is that we're starting off extremely simple, really, really big wins early on. So single string riffs, something they can go home and basically show off to the family straight away that day, hopefully after their first lesson and just building, like you were saying, in, in small increments from there. And that resource actually goes all the way up to level eight, which is roughly around the equivalent of grade eight. And I sort of built that in 2019. Um, so that's roughly how that program works. Now, there's a big part of that, which I use and I get all my teachers using this as well. And I call it cheat chords. So um, for this part, I'm actually going to demonstrate some of this with the guitar as well. So I need to kind of um, position my guitar a little bit so it's kind of in front of the microphone as well. I did a little test run of this earlier. It seems to sound okay. So I've got three songs that I will give you as an example as to why I do this. Now, this is not just as simple as just simplifying songs. It's a more generic system that you can use for chords um, for anything for a beginner and moving on from that. So basically, what we do is we take the eight main open chords. So, so you know, I think of something where a teacher would really quite often fail, really, I think, whether it's an adult or a child, is first lesson. I'm sure you would agree with this, Michael. Terrible idea to actually just teach a G, D, and a C chord. You know, traditional, you know, three open chords. You're probably well, you're going to be able to teach you're not going to teach them the F chord in the first lesson? Mm, no, I think, I think F sharp, F sharp diminished or something like that. So, so I think it's a pet hate of mine. And it's very, very typical of a, a teacher to teach those three chords. Of course, with an adult student, you're probably going to be able to get them to finger and play those chords and sounding quite nice. But then it's going to be extremely discouraging for them when inevitably they can't play knocking on heaven's door um, after that first lesson. So, so, you know, you've got your eight main open chords, your, G, your, your caged chords, like you're going to C, A, G, E, D, then you've got your minors, E minor, A minor, D minor. And um, 
it just gets very, very ugly and complicated very, very quickly. So what I do is the cheat code system. Uh, so to your listeners out there, I'm going to kind of just describe these chords briefly. And uh, so what we have is like a, an open G power chord, which is just a four note chord. And then if you just move one finger onto the A string, you'll get a, a sort of three string C add nine, um, which is, you know, it's not so common a chord. Then like an open D power chord that I play with an open A, an open E power chord, and an open A power chord. And what we're saying is, well, those every time a student sees a G, a G minor, um, a G minor seven, a G five, whatever they see, we just say, just play the G cheat chord. You're just going to use that cheat chord. And so um, let's say they want to learn knocking on heaven's door. So which is G, C, uh, D, A minor. And of course, going back around G, D, C. Well, the trouble is with those chords is there's no single chord change in there that actually has any two fingers, uh, any finger that you can pivot on. So everything has to change every single time. Now, if you play that with cheat chords, I can move one finger to get from my G to my D, and then I can change one finger to get from my D to my, uh, sorry, I, I would move one finger and remove one and then my A power chord. I hope this isn't too complicated. Should, shouldn't be if your guitar teacher listens out there. Uh, then after that, you know, you're going to go G, G chord, D, C. And what I will have is I will have a beginner student able to play that in time with a decent strumming pattern, with decent sounding chords, and I'll even be able to have them sing along to that. And I have had students be able to do that within within around eight weeks of um, playing the guitar. I think that's quite impressive, is if somebody can actually full on get up on a stage and sing and strum a whole song. Um, you know, thinking about it, you know, the most important thing to me with teaching chord progressions is actually the chord placement. There's not enough emphasis put on that, which is where the chord changes are. It doesn't matter how bad your chord is, it doesn't matter what your strumming pattern is. As long as you've got the right chord and the right time, you could be playing along to a track. It's going to sound harmonically correct. So um, so that's how you could play Knocking on Heaven's Door. So G, D, A, just all, all basically power chords. G, D, C. But let's say that student, the same student, wants to learn Billie Eilish, bad guy. Well, that's G minor. So, you know, let's say you've got a 12-year-old girl comes into lessons and she's got bright green hair and she's a massive Billie Eilish fan and that's the only thing that's going to motivate her to play. Well, of course, this is going to be a very extremely bad idea if you start teaching a G minor bar chord and a C minor bar chord and a D. You could actually have them playing exactly the same song along to the track. It'll sound harmonically correct. It'll sound a bit folky if I do this, not along to the track. course there's no uh there's no tonality in those chords last one is we could teach the same student with the same chords how to play you shook me all night long by acdc um, which is actually closer to being power chords depending on which version you're looking at and this is where we move on to a bit more of a riff so they could be playing and it is extremely rare in fact it has never happened where a parent or somebody watching, you know, that person play says, "Hey, that's not how that goes." Most mostly people don't know, and uh, I think people that even do know don't care because I think they can see the benefit of it. And uh, I think it's a great system for teaching chords. And what we will eventually do is we will sort of gradually say to them, "Okay, let's try a couple of kind of uh, you know real sort of open power chords." And, and by the time you've got to that point, they're understanding how to read chord charts. They're understanding strumming patterns. They're understanding the principles of chord changing. And they're, you know, some of them are even able to sing and strum along. And so that's my cheat chord method. I'm quite proud of it. And I've definitely seen a lot of success with our teachers that we have uh, come and work within our school, where we can genuinely say we've had some teachers who have little to no experience in teaching guitar, and they have better retention than, than competitors who have been teaching for a lot longer. And we've even had, uh, you know, teachers leave us who I, I know sort of, uh, you know, through the grapevine that they're still using our curriculum and our method. And that's, that's a real, you know, uh, testament to how, how good it is. So I'm quite proud of it. Yeah, that's how the cheat chord system works. That's it. And I think it's an amazing system. And when you sort of uh, were showing me your database and that you came up with this little system, I can't remember whether I asked what, what it was or something on the side, but I was just like, wow. 
that is going to work so well. And that's why we wanted you on the podcast. I think a lot of teachers are going to go, but that's not the right way to play chords. That's not the right way to play guitar. If you're listening at home and you're having those kind of feelings, that mentality is what's holding you back. And there's so many teachers who are focused on, this is the way that I learned. My teacher learned it from his teacher this way. And that's the way it is in the book. And this is the way you've got to teach it because it's the proper way of learning guitar. That kind of mentality is what overwhelms students, gets them quitting prematurely and keeps you forever looking for students and not having a big long list and a great reputation. Sam and people using similar approaches where you abandon any preconceived notions of the right way to learn guitar and you just go, how can I get my student playing real music as soon as possible? Is it exactly the same as on the record? Well, no, it's not, but it doesn't have to be. And trying to make your student sound like the record, remember the record is the product of 10 years of hard work. Angus Young was playing guitar for more than 10 years before they did that first ACDC record. And he's the rare exception because his older brothers uh, were already heavily involved in the music industry at that point. But it took him 10 years before you heard the first ACDC song. Your beginner student's not going to have the capability of doing that in the first lesson or the first 10 lessons or even the first year. It's an unrealistic expectation, but to give them a simplified version of the chord and get them playing along the song pretty much immediately is truly groundbreaking. And that's why Sam has 200 students and a waiting list of 80 people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I was, I was going to, you know, I, like I was saying earlier, you've got a fantastic way of sort of summarizing and wording things, Michael. Um, you know, I was going to say, you know, you, if you if you don't follow a system like that, you're basically you're going to be out of business, and your students aren't going to be as fulfilled. You know, so actually, I can genuinely say that um, you know students are are developing real guitar skills. Well, they, I mean, these are real guitar skills, aren't they? They're real chords, but I mean, you know, they're gonna they're still going to move on to do all the proper, if you will, open chords, bar chords, all the theory. And there are students that I know would not get to that point without that system and they would not continue. And so actually, this is just another tool that actually helps make music accessible for more people, which is always a positive thing. You know, music is a great thing for anybody. I think we should all we should all be learning and playing music. Really, it should come to us much more naturally than it does. I think our society kind of um, stifles that to an extent. That's why most people you know, are uncomfortable singing in public, whereas birds don't have a problem and, you know, tribal societies don't have a problem. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on your, your philosophies with teaching, Michael. Yeah, well, thank you. And it's a really interesting point. You said the birds don't care and the tribal people don't care. It's definitely like a, a uniquely Western thing where we're so conscious of ourselves, whether it's our singing voice or even our musical abilities. And we're often, you know, told by friends and family that you can't do it or, I don't know how often you've heard, I don't have a musical bone in my body, things like that. Your students are coming to you already apprehensive about their ability to do this. You need to be able to reassure them that they can learn guitar. It's going to take effort. It's not going to happen overnight, but as long as you put in the time, you will eventually get there. And if you throw them straight onto bar chords, then they're going to be like, I can't do this. It's way too hard. My hand hurts. Maybe guitar is just not for me. But if you can get them doing these simplified chords, you're going to go, you know what? This sounds okay. Maybe I'm not going to suck at this after all. I'm not going to fail at this after all. And it's that little spark of belief is that what keeps them going. And the sooner you can get them playing, performing, singing along, because their measurement of am I good or not is can I play a song? For most people, that's going to be their measurement. So the quicker you get them to that point through that period of doubt and build up that self-belief of if I can do it, the quicker they're going to take it up. And same thing for you with the business. When I'm coaching these guys to make six figures or to restructure their studio with guitar ninjas and make more money and save more time, so many people are apprehensive. It's the ones that have that belief and go, you know what, I think I can do this. And then we give them the means of doing it, that they go out and do it. So everything, and that's the whole theme of Think and Grow Rich without giving away too much of the secret. It's to, you need to believe in yourself first once you have the belief, then you take the action. And if you take the actions and you consistently take the actions, like what you said, one rep after the other, never giving up, you will arrive at your destination and you'll be successful. Cool. Now, Sam, I am conscious of time. So maybe I'll ask you one more question. I'll give you the choice. Do you want to let us know a little bit about some tips for teaching kids or, or engaging beginning guitar teachers better? Or is there just a final piece of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, there was quite a few we were going to go over, wasn't there? And there's always, 
opportunity for part number two. So we can always come back to any of the, and I'll let you know, guys, um, we don't script this uh, conversation just in case you're wondering because Sam pointed this out. I don't script the conversation. We're not reading off a script, but I do just submit a couple of questions and thereabouts of things I'd like to ask Sam and our guests just so that we can obviously find out a bit more about what we're doing. So I gave Sam a whole bunch of questions I've been wanting to ask him and we just sort of go through those questions and see what happens. And we ended up getting sidetracked with a big conversation. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. And I think that's just part of making a good podcast is doing it natural, but it has left a whole bunch of unanswered questions. So, Sam, the door will always be open open for uh, interview number two. I would probably say, you know, if I was going to answer anything, it would be, you know, what, what's the last piece of advice or wisdom you'd share with our listeners? I mean, I would say, you, you know, I've sort of been been there and back again a little bit over the last few years with with building BMT and I'm obviously extremely proud of where we've got to but it hasn't been without a struggle we've managed to do it through a pandemic you know we're not managing um you know now to do that sort of through you know a recession as well and uh you know like I've said to one of our teachers recently like if we can get through this and we can you know, you know build our guitar ninjas program and and be successful doing that through this then we're going to absolutely thrive, you know, in, in a bit more of a bull market or a bit, you know, a bit more normal times or some kind of normality. But yeah, I think the the advice I'll probably give to people, maybe someone who is who is earlier in their kind of you know guitar teaching career or music music teaching career or whatever it is, is um is is to stay true to who you are and what your values are, which I know might sound a little bit heebie-jeebie, but it's really thinking about what is it that you actually want from life and what is it that you want to give to other people? And I've managed to stay true to that all the way from starting teaching guitar in 2005 right now to 2023, where I learned guitar. Like I said, you know, I taught myself, I learned music I wanted to learn. I was really motivated. I loved it. That's all I've ever wanted to pass on to other people. And as we've gone through the pandemic, the same thing with the music school, what I would say to all our students, our families, our teachers, I just say, look, I mean, our tagline is we teach people music and help them feel awesome. So when we were going through the pandemic, I said, just think about how you're going to teach people and help them feel awesome. When we go through other things, you've just got to think about the same thing. And I, I, I like to think that we have managed to stay true to that all the way through. And I think as long as you do that, things will fall into place. Sam, that is absolutely fantastic advice and that's part of why what you're doing is so amazing because it's got so much of yourself into it and that's you staying true to you and that's going to attract people that resonate with that and it's going to repel a few people that don't necessarily share the same vision or values but that's totally fine because we're all different. Normally, we'd close a podcast there but I think Sam just mentioned one really important thing. We just made it through a pandemic which for most people – has been the worst sort of two years of their life for various reasons. And you mentioned upcoming recession. Now, the last little thing I want to mention for all of our listeners is a recession is almost like a state of mind. Being broke is a state of mind. Being rich is a state of mind. Yes, a recession is a real thing that can have an effect on the economy, but you can choose to just go through the motions or you can choose to actually take as much action as you can towards building your business. There are going to be people who hear about recession on the, the radio or the TV and they go, oh, it's a recession. I'm not going to even try advertising because what's the point? It's just going to be wasting money. No one's going to be spending this, this, that, that. There is going to be someone who does spend money on advertising during the recession and they're going to get all the clients. Life is going to go on. The people with money are still going to carry out life as normal. The people without money are going to do the best to get by and there's going to be a big spectrum of people in the middle. So if you're listening to this and you worry about the recession, don't be. Yes, you're going to feel things. No, it's not going to be business as usual, but it's all the more reason to work harder, to take more action, to try and get more gigs in, to have a bigger impact on your students so that when it comes time to pick between activity one and guitar lessons, that they go with guitar lessons every single time. So you can either, when it, with the reception, you can go, oh, well, I give up. You can retreat. Or you can just keep doing the same thing and, and hope for the best, or you can advance and conquer. And this is kind of a Grant Cardone principle, which has deeply inspired me is, you know, whether it's rain, hail or shine, I'm going to get up, I'm going to work, I'm going to build my business. Whether things are going good or bad, I'm going to work, I'm going to build my business, I'm going to have the biggest impact on my students. 
And while all the other guitar teachers and music schools in the area are holding back because they're scared, I'm going to go and take up their market share and bring more people into my school and my family and what I'm doing and help them out. Because if you're not going to help them, I am. And if I'm the only person out there offering help, then I'm the one who gets all the students and clients in the business. So if you are worried about the upcoming uh, recession, guys, don't be. You have more ability to control your own personal life and circumstances than you give credit for or you may be aware of. So if that's something that interests you, definitely check out the Top Music membership. There's a whole bunch of things that we do in there in terms of growing your business, becoming a better teacher. We'll, of course, be giving you cool little tidbits and nuggets of advice on the podcast here. And we've, of course, got Guitar Ninjas to hopefully help you guys optimize the way you're teaching, run better lessons, retain your students for longer, which is going to make things much easier to make money. And of course, the six-figure program if you just specifically want to make more money. But that's my sales pitch. On behalf of the Top Music community, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We'll definitely get you back in a couple of weeks for part two because we're only just scratching the surface of all this amazing stuff that you're doing over at your school. And guys at home, if you found this podcast helpful, make sure you leave it a review and share it with a couple of other guitar teachers. Last one, Sam, where can our listeners find out a bit more about you or connect with you online? So they can find me at my website, which is bmtschoolofmusic.com, or they can search for BMT School of Music on Facebook and Instagram. If you sort of look at any of the posts on there, particularly Facebook, you'll see that, you know, I quite often will comment from my, you know, kind of actual Facebook profile. You know, I'm very happy for people to add me there. I sort of like chatting to a lot of people on there. So yeah, Facebook, Instagram, website is bmtschoolofmusic.com. Search for BMT School of Music UK. Fantastic. So we'll include the links wherever you're listening to this and reach out to Sam. He's a great bloke. He's doing some amazing things and we could learn a lot from what he's doing. So thanks very much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you in the next episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.